Glory to God. Well, it's good to have our Facebook folks with us. We had a delay getting that all going, not for lack of trying things. Daryl is always very passionate about getting that out there for the folks, and uh, it wasn't uh, clicking in here in the beginning, and he tried all sorts of stuff, and then I tried some stuff, and then we both tried some stuff, and then Brother Keith brought his phone over, and he tried it, and finally you got that one to work, I guess. So um, we had that, that going. Well, glory to God. We're going to be over in Acts chapter 4 here today. Acts chapter 4. As we were going over these things the last couple of weeks, specifically on the love of God, that the enemy wants to get us off from walking in the love of God by pulling us to one side or the other. On one side of the road, the ditch is self-seeking. On the other side of the road, the ditch is self-denial. But both revolve around you. We're supposed to revolve around God. Last week, we looked at three reasons why unselfish people change. One is I might lose something that I want. Another is I might not gain what I desire. And the third one was someone else might get what I deserve. We looked at the life of Samson two weeks ago. We saw how he first grew in the Lord and that the anointing on him continued to increase. But then he got selfish. And most of the narrative we have on Samson is when he became selfish and not when the anointing on him was, was growing. You can alter your growth in the anointing that's on your life. We have to be careful. This week we want to continue on this and look at some other aspects of the love walk. How does my good get tainted with evil? How does my love get polluted with selfishness? It's not just our future rewards that we're protecting. It's the very essence of our Christian character and our testimony in the world. We've got to make sure we keep that, that looking good. It's important because how we come across people is how they'll see God. Over in Acts chapter 4, in verse 32... It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the, these things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among who lacked, for all were possessors of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. Now, this is not how the church was commanded to operate. We don't find in Scripture anyway that it ever operated this way again. It is not a pattern, but it fulfilled a need. But there's a lot of people who say that this is the more spiritual way to go. And they try to tell us that we have to have all things in common if we're Christians. And there are certain communities that have been built around that. And most of the ones that we've heard about anyway didn't have a very good end because they got off on Scripture. They took something that happened in Scripture and decided that's how God wanted it. God never said that's how He wanted it. He just said that's how things were. What happened was everyone had come to the city of Jerusalem for one of the feasts. And while they were there, the Spirit of God was poured out. Well, people didn't want to go home with the Spirit of God being poured out. So, 
they decided to stay. In order to stay, they needed places to um, lodge and food to eat. And they probably only brought enough money with them and supplies. You don't have credit cards back there. Only had enough money and supplies probably for the time that they were expecting to stay there. And then they would be heading back home, getting back into their jobs and so forth. But that's not what happened. They stayed longer. And so as they're staying longer, uh, maybe they ran out of money for the uh, hotel type of a place that they were staying. So they had things in common and people would just kind of say, look, my house is your house. Come on over and stay with us. We have an extra room. And so that's one way that they, they would do it. Uh, come on over our house. We have plenty of food. And so some of the church family there, they would have one or two uh, families that would come over and join them for the food and, and they, would, they would share that way. Other people, they had uh, land and they would sell the land and bring the money in to help those people who were, dis- who were just not home right now. They were kind of displaced from a home. And this continued on until the Spirit of God was finished what He was doing and people were ready to uh, head back on home. And these things were, were taken care of. So during this time, that's the setting that was here. Now, if you're wondering, you know, why does God ask them to give up? I mean, it just seems like a small number of people gave up so much stuff. Well, just remember this. In about 25 or 30 years, Rome is going to come through and make all the land worthless. So what would you rather do? Sell it 25 years ahead of time and have a heavenly reward? Or hang on to it and have nothing in 25 years? So when you look at the whole picture of things, they, they actually had a great opportunity and they took advantage of it. Because if you get to, into heaven and uh, God says, we had a need in the kingdom and you financed it. You gave up stuff that you had, not knowing what was coming in the future, but you gave up what you had because we had a need. Thank you for financing the kingdom of God and what was going on right there. That would be a nice thing to hear, wouldn't it? Verse 36 says, And Hoseas, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is just one particular person. Now, he did not sell his house. He is not homeless. He had a a parcel of land that he was not using at the time. Whatever the land was, was for, maybe he got it with the purpose of of building on it for uh, some of his kids. We don't know what the purpose of the land, why he bought it, whether it was going to be a vineyard or a vegetable garden or what it was going to be. Whatever it was, he had a land and had some value and he sold it. Took the money and just brought it before the apostles' feet and then left. Now his purpose was just to finance the things that were going on. And he is not the only one who did this. He's just the only one that is talked about here in Scripture. So he sold the piece of land and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, he didn't have to bring all the money, but he decided to. It was his land. He decided, I'm going to sell this. I'm going to bring the money. And he brought it to the apostles. The apostles probably did not approach him and say, Barnabas, can you sell this property over here? It's just something that came up in his spirit. Maybe it's an idea he even thought about all on his own. Whatever way it was, He sold it, he came and he brought it, and then he left. That's all that he intended to do. Now he received recognition for this. 
obviously, because he's written about it in the book of Acts. So people knew that this was going on, knew that he did it. Now notice this, this did not take away from his reward. Somehow it got spread around in the body of Christ because the word of God says that what you do, do in secret. Remember that? That if somebody finds out about a gift that you sown, that you lost the reward. Have you ever heard that? And so we always try and keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody that this went on. Uh, I just want to keep this uh, secret. Because we have this thinking that if people find out about it, I'll lose the reward. There is nothing in Scripture that says if people find out about what you did, that you lose the reward. Nothing in there about it at all. Don't let the enemy put that in. Because if the enemy gets that in your thoughts, then if you go and you, you do what God says and sell something or bring the money, and then people find out about it, you think, well, I lost all... All that reward. Why should I do it again? Barnabas, not only it was found out about, it was written about in Scripture, and we're still finding out about it as the uh, years go on. And he has not lost any of his reward. Don't let that get in your, in your thinking. You see, the reason that he didn't lose his reward is this was not his purpose. If your purpose is recognition here on the earth, then the teaching that Jesus did on this, you got, you got your purpose. You had your reward. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to do what God said or to just uh, help people that were away from home and in need. Whatever it was, his purpose was not to be recognized. It happened, but that's not his purpose. Just don't make that your purpose. As long as you don't make it your purpose, and God knows your purpose, then you're fine. So don't let that get in. If that has been in your thinking before, it has to be done in secret. Uh, don't let that. I'll give you another verse of Scripture just to further prove that. Do you remember when Jesus was in the back counting the people who gave up the offerings? And he knew how much they gave too. Because he said how much the, the, the widow woman gave. She gave two mites. He saw it. He's watching. So if you're not, if, if recognition for it makes you lose the reward, then why did Jesus recognize her for what she did? Or she would have lost all the reward. So just know, just because you got recognized for something you did, whether monetarily or otherwise, it doesn't mean you lose the reward. If that was your purpose, then Jesus says, then you got your reward. But if that's not your purpose, you didn't get your reward yet. So don't, uh, don't let that get in your thinking. All right, let's go on with this. Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, you all know them pretty well, don't you? Sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. Now, that seems pretty drastic, doesn't it? Let's take a look at what he, what he had done here. 
Let's go back to verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias and with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. So that both of them are doing this together. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, however he did this, it was done in such a way to convey the meaning that I brought the entire thing here. He wanted the credit for bringing the whole offering here. He did not bring the whole offering here. He kept back part of it. But he gave the impression. Because the purpose was not to finance what God was doing or to obey God for God telling him to sell something. The purpose was for the recognition that he would come and bring all of it just like Barnabas and probably others had done as well. That's where the problem came out. Now look at what what, uh, Peter says to him. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Now can you imagine this? You go out and you do something so as good as let's just we're just going to put a number on this. We don't know what the number is. It had to be a pretty decent number because you cannot sell a parcel of land and pass it off as here's ten bucks. So it had to be at least a significant enough of an offering that people could think it was all of it. Now they don't have checks then. You're not writing a check. People have to read this on the check. It's whatever it is, it's it's physical. You can see so many bags of silver, so many bags of gold, or whatever it might be. You can see what's being brought, and you can get an idea of uh, of what was there. But Peter says to him, "Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, why would you ask Ananias why Satan does anything?" I mean, if I was Ananias, I could say, I don't know why Satan's doing the things that he's doing. But see, that's not really the question, is it? The question is, why did you allow Satan to fill your heart? Because that's the part he can control. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Now, Peter doesn't say this unless he's passing it off as all of it. So either he says something, here is all the money, or he does some kind of action that conveys this is all the money. I bring all the money from the sale of the property here to God. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So what we're saying here is that Satan had a hand in financing what was going on? How many of that's a little hard to swallow? <laughs> In the kingdom of Satan, he will inspire people to do good things to bring bad results. Now, the bad result here was on Ananias. He was trying to get him to pull one over in the Holy Spirit. Where he was going to go after that, I don't know. But we have to kind of surmise what happened to this whole thing. It would seem that either Ananias came up with the idea, you know, 
I like the attention that Barnabas and others are getting. I would like to have some of that attention too. Maybe he mentioned it to his wife. You know, we got this uh, property over here. Why don't we sell that? We can keep part of it and do the addition on the house like we've been wanting to do. And then give the rest of it and people will think that, that we were just like all these others who sold something and gave, gave it all. So we'll be able to accomplish the thing we wanted to do and get recognition as well. So that either came from God to inspire him to do this. God called upon him, Ananias, we ask you to, to sell this. And God does ask sometimes people for the, to sell things. Remember Jesus told the rich young ruler, go sell all that you got. So God can do that. And then Satan comes in and he, uh, to Ananias, because Ananias maybe, let's just go with the assumption that God led him, God spoke to him. If God spoke to him, Ananias sell this. As he's contemplating that, here's a thought that would come to him. Oh, but that's a lot of money for me to give away. Now think of yourself. Have you, has God ever asked you to give something or to sell something or to bless somebody in such a way that the, the thought came in, oh, that's a lot of money to give away. Hmm. Now see, that's the opportunity for the, for the devil. And he'll come right on in. And here's an opportunity. Here's, here's a good spot. Tell you what, don't give it all. Keep part of it. And he's thinking, oh, that's the Holy Spirit telling me. <laughs> I don't know if he's actually thinking that or not, but he sure could have thought that maybe. But if he thought it was the Holy Spirit, why doesn't he come and say, the Holy Spirit led me to sell this and to bring back this much and give it to the kingdom? Because if the Holy Spirit says to do something, why would you be ashamed? The very fact that we become ashamed to do or to say what we think God said is the very evidence that tells us we know it's not of God. Because anything that God would tell you to say, anything that God tells you to do, you don't have to be embarrassed about. God told you. And you can stand up boldly and say it. God told me to sell this property and bring half of it here. Well, then just do that. But you see, he knew that God did not really say to do that. And he was trying to slide this on through. The inspiration for it came from Satan, which Peter exposes here. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Now, he doesn't just stop there. He goes on. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? There are a lot of people, and we talked about this years ago when we were looking at stewardship, but the money that you have in your bank account, the house that you have that you live in, the car that you drive, the microwave oven that is in your kitchen, Whatever the possessions are that you have, folks, these are not God's possessions. They are yours. They belong to you. Don't walk into your house and say, this is God's house. It is not God's house. It is your house. Don't say, this is God's car. 
It is not God's car. It is your car. Take ownership of it. It is yours. If your money and your bank account was God's, how can you tithe? Because all of it belongs to God. What you would be doing is, God, this is your money. And I'm going to give you 10% of it. But I'm keeping, I'm taking 90% of your money. (laughs) See, that's not right, is it? No. The money that you receive is your money. It is under your control. It is not under God's control. It's under yours. Under your control, God says, let's see what you do with it. He's asked you to do a certain thing with it. And you can either obey or not. You can tithe. You can sow offerings. You can give what God says to give or not. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Now, before it was Satan. Now it's him. Who did it? Well, you see, it comes as a combination. Because Satan sows the thought, you don't have to give all of it. Keep some of it. And then he begins to run with that. Oh, I could keep part of it. All right, what would they buy as being the whole price? See, so he begins to conceive this himself. I think, you know, that value of that land was $10,000. I'll bet you they would, since I did it quickly, they probably buy that uh, I sold it for $7,000. i will keep $3,000 and um, it will be good. He conceived that himself. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now we do this on a regular basis ourselves. It's not that we've sold properties and kept back part of it. But we have done it in other things. Because God has told us to walk a certain way in the area of love, hasn't he? Now God's put the love down on the inside of our heart. If God put the love down on the inside of our heart, whose love is it? It's ours. And just like the money that comes into your uh, your possession, the love that comes into your possession is under your control. You give that love to whom you choose. But you choose it. God doesn't choose it. You choose it. God wants to broaden your horizons for how you're making those choices. Because sometimes, our own natural self, I want to love those that are nice to me. I want to love those that I enjoy being around. I want to love those that I feel are worthwhile. But I walk away from some of the others. You see, it's under my control. I can divvy that out or keep that back. It's up to me. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own? Uh, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, I'll just put this in another, another language. If I don't walk in love to the people that God wants me to walk in love to, I have not denied men the love of God. I've denied God. 
I'm not walking in what God has said. I'm not doing what God has said. When we walk in love to people that don't walk in love back to us, are not kind, are not nice, what I'm showing God is, I am serving you by loving these people. If you tell me those are the people I'm supposed to love, I'm loving them. I don't care what they do back. I don't need their recognition. I need to walk in the love of God. Now just understand this. God does not tell you to be sweet and nice to everybody. If Jesus was not sweet and nice to everybody, then you don't have to be sweet and nice to everybody too. I mean, just take a look at God. Moses, step aside. I'm going to wipe these people out. All right. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, does this mean that Ananias is unsaved? Probably not. When you get to heaven, I'll bet you'll see Ananias right up there. This is not a sin leading to death. Well, not spiritual death. It led to physical death here. Usually it doesn't. But this particular time it did. God sent it. Establishing a precedent, I guess, or showing people, hey, this is a big deal. Don't be lying to God. And the church got the message. And the church continues to get the message. This was a big deal. I think when you get up there, Ananias is going to be there. Man, I made a mistake on that one. But, folks, he did a whole lot of other things before that. We just don't read about them. So I'm, I am not of the thinking that Ananias is not going to be in heaven. I think he's going to be there. Verse 7. That was about three hours later when his wife came in not knowing what had happened. So what kind of a church service is going on here that three hours later they're still there? And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. So see, they, they talked about it. This was the thing they conspired with. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now, if this happened in this day, there'd be newspapers and news cameras and talking about what an abusive church that was there that killed its own members because you didn't give enough. And they would come up with a, with a story on the thing. And, uh, of course, they don't need any evidence for anything. We've learned that in the last number of weeks, right? You don't need evidence for anything. See, God had the evidence on these on these folks. And God did it. I wonder how that would work out in court. Uh, we didn't kill anybody, sir. Uh, they came in. They brought an offering. Uh, they tried to say it was all. And God knew it wasn't. And uh, God, God took them out. 
And then we had to have an autopsy. What do you mean you just buried him? Get out there and get that body. <laughs> had to go out there and get the body and un- uncover the mystery of what happened. And waiting for the, uh, the coroner's report. Coroner's report says died of natural color causes. What do you mean died of natural causes? Nobody walks into a church and just suddenly drops over dead and dies of natural causes. Come on. And so they would have a hard time with that. But that's what happened. And God was showing people, don't, don't lie to me. I'm not telling you that you have to sell your properties and give all the money. I'm not telling you anything like that. What I'm telling you is, don't lie. Whatever it is that you did for God, be upfront with it and do it. Now see, he made his, when, it, when they talked about this money, they said, we're going to pass this off as if we have dedicated it all to God. They made the sale of that property the same thing as all the goods and possessions in the city of Jericho. It was the same thing. They made it equal to Jericho. Because when God says, when you come to Jericho, it's all mine. Don't touch it. Don't take any of it. It's all mine. And so we know one person did, and that didn't go so well. And then people died because of, because of that. But he declared it. He said over his, himself when he was there, this is all the money we got from the sale, and we are bringing all of it to God. He made it equal to Jericho. So their money became an accursed thing, just like it was in Joshua chapter 7. Now, if God asks you to do something, then you, then you do it. But it's, the things you have are under your own control. That's why God comes and He asks you, would you sell this? Would you do this? Would you give this? He comes and He asks you because it's under your control. He needs your permission. And so he, you come and you, you bring the permission, you, you sell the thing, you do what you want. So what you have is under your control. The exceptions are only when God asks something of you. If God comes and he says, I, I, I need this, I want you to do this, that would be the exception. I still have to yield the control of that to God. So if God's word, written or spoken, will not release your stuff, then you are in charge. If God comes to you and says, Will you release this for the kingdom of God, for the purpose of what's going on here? Will you release that? And if you say, no, I won't do it, then you're in charge of your stuff. God's not. God's not really in control of you. Now, you have charge of all the things you got, but if you truly have submitted yourself to God, then when God comes and says, will you do this? The answer is, yes, sir. Be happy to. So that kind of tells you who's in charge. Just like the, the rich young ruler. He wants to say, God's in charge of my life. Let's find out how in charge I am. Makes a command. Go sell all that you got. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Uh, nope, not going to do it. So what motivated Ananias and Sapphira to do this? First off, they wanted to give to the Lord. 
That's a good motivation, isn't it? It's a good thing to want to give to the Lord. That's why this whole thing got started was because they wanted to give to the Lord. It's amazing how you can start off with something that good and end up with something so bad. But that's where it started. We wanted, we want to give something to God. But they also brought something else in. They wanted to be honored. We saw how Barnabas and others were honored. We want to have that kind of honor going on. They wanted appreciation. They wanted to be honored. They wanted appreciation. They wanted something more. Something more than just to give to the Lord. If they just wanted to give to the Lord, it would have stopped at giving to the Lord. But it didn't stop. Because we want these other things. I want to give to the Lord, plus I want honor to come to me, plus I want some appreciation, plus I want something more. Whatever it might be, you can fill in your own blank there. That's why he said, why has Satan filled your heart? Because I started off with a desire, I want to give to the Lord. But then, once that was there, Satan came in and he started filling my heart with other things. He started throwing other stuff, seeing what would what I would grab hold of. Why has Satan filled your heart? So here's one of the questions we put up, I believe, on Facebook earlier. How can this happen to a believer? How, as a believer, can you get to a place where Satan can fill your heart? I mean, we saw with Jesus, with Peter... In Matthew 16, 22, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Satan got in there. Satan got here with Ananias. Satan got in with Judas. There's other people we could keep on naming. They started out good. They started out going in a good direction. They started out with a good intention. Oh, but then we got, we got turned off. We veered off. And this is what Satan wants to do. You gotta be mindful that Satan wants to get you veered off. He's gonna take something, an assignment that God gave you, a calling that God gave you, something that God put in your heart to do, and he says, I gotta make this go off in a wrong direction. I cannot stop it from happening, but I'm going to turn this in a direction that will not be as good. That's what he wanted to, to get done. He's going to set it out for the, the same thing for you. If we are not mindful of the kingdom of God, first we leave the door open. First thing we've got to be mindful of, folks, is the kingdom of God. And when you walk in the love of God, the first thing you have to be mindful of is the kingdom of God. But the enemy wants to get you off into selfishness. Because if I can't get you out of the love of God, I'm going to pull you off on that road into the area where you are thinking about yourself more than you ought to think. You are more mindful of what you can receive, what you need. So we're going to veer you off into the area of selfishness. And if I can get you off... Enough get you into that ditch, we can get you to crash. 
These aren't, these aren't good things. So, Matthew 6, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We all know that verse. Probably some of you even have it up on your refrigerator. So, did Satan fill Sapphira's heart as well? I kind of would say he had to have, huh? Filled Ananias, filled her heart. He got both of them. Usually with a team, if one is weak, the other one can be strong. But here we got both of them weak. Gotta be, you gotta be careful. Her heart was filled as well. Turn it over, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It said, let, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now, how many things are to be done? Nothing. Not a single thing should be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Those two things. Those two things are our main takeaway here. Selfish ambition and conceit. Didn't have room to put this in your outline. If you want to write it in there, you can certainly feel free to. But it sometimes helps if we break things down into the language. You'll notice I try and do that sometimes because if I see selfish ambition, I don't always know what that sounds like. So I try and mull on that a little bit. So what, what's selfish ambition sound like? So the language of selfish ambition is, is along these lines. I need, I want. I need you to do this. I need this in order for me to. I want one of those. I want what they have. I want a raise. This is the language of selfish ambition. I am not concerned about the person who I'm asking this about, I'm concerned with me foremost. You might have some concern for them, but foremost, I'm concerned about myself. Now, that's the language of selfish ambition. But what if you say, but I, but I need a raise. I've been working for the company, and they said they would give a raise after this amount of time, and I, I don't understand. Well, you see, there's a whole lot of difference between I need a raise and you know I took this job so long ago and you said that at the end of a certain period of time that um, I could expect a raise so I just want to ask you has my performance been good am I satisfying what you want in this in this you see I'm concerned about them not just me I have a concern for me that's why I'm here but I also have a concern about that. See, that's not selfish ambition. The word does not say ambition. It is not wrong or bad or harmful in any way to be ambitious. Remember one of the things Jesus taught his disciples? They were having an argument as, as to who was the greatest. So he taught them how to do it. If you want to become the greatest, here's how you do it. How much ambition does it take to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? 
It takes some ambition, ambition, doesn't it? See, God's not against you having ambition. He doesn't want you to have selfish ambition. See, there are some people that are very ambitious and keep pushing forward and keep pushing for new things, but they also want to bring other people along with them. And there's other people, I don't care what happens to you. All I care about is that I get ahead. That's selfish ambition. And the language would be, I want you to do this for me. I need you to do this. Well, what about, can you help me with this? I mean, isn't that a whole lot different? Have you ever had people come up and make a demand? I need you to do this. But have you also had people come up and say, can you help me and do this? See, that's the difference. Because one is filled with selfish ambition and one is not. He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. There's a second one. Conceit. The language of conceit is I deserve. I deserve this raise. I deserve your respect. I don't deserve this kind of treatment. That's the language of conceit. It is about who I am and how who I am is better than you. That's what conceit is. Now look what he says in the rest of the verse. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. It doesn't mean that they are better than you. It just means that when you approach them, when you talk with them, you esteem them better than yourself. I don't know when I picked this up. I have this habit, constantly have this habit. I hear myself do it sometimes. Why do I keep doing that? But when I walk up to somebody in the street, I'm always saying hi. Just you know, find random people. Just go up and say hi to them. And, uh, but I address them. Hello, sir. I don't care if they're younger, my age, or older. How are you doing, sir? Yes, ma'am. How are you doing, ma'am? How are you doing today? Just, I just constantly do it. I can find somebody on the, and I have done this. I've been walking around the streets of Philadelphia and a homeless person comes up. I think one came up to shine my shoes. Address them as sir. Always just do it. I'm not sure where I learned it from, how I learned it, but, but, I, but I just keep doing it. Because you've got to esteem other people is better than yourself. But there's some people who don't do that. They walk up to people, oh, what are you doing in my way? Why are you stopping me? Why are you? And we do that. Now, you can find this out too when you call your customer service people. How do you how do you speak to them? Esteem them as better than yourself. Esteem them as as uh, as as higher than you. Just just treat them respectfully, and you would be amazed at what all good th- good things come. You know, my mom and I we were on the joint phone conversation yesterday with a customer service person, and they had a deal worked up for her to get something taken care of in the new place, and. Um, as we're, we're talking, I just, you know, just the way I usually do things. 
Thank you very much. Oh, I appreciate the way that you put that deal together. It's a good deal. Thank you very much for that. Just just because it's, it's, I wasn't trying to get anything more from them. That's just the way I approach people. And I did that, and, and uh, she had to go away and uh, figure out some more things. She came back. She says, you know what? I found out that um, that I could give you more of a discount each month than what I said I could. Well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate you, do, you doing that. And there was going to be an installation fee and all that sort of stuff. And it was going to, they were going to spread it over two months. I said, um, wow. I said, they, they have that much of an installation fee now? And she says, well, you know what? You pay the first one and we'll waive the second one. That's cool. Ah, thank you very much. But you see, if you just esteem, if you just walk in a way that you esteem other people as better than you instead of you being better than them, you will find that people will go out of their way to try and do things for you. Doesn't mean that everyone will. And don't do it for the purpose of getting something. If it's not truly genuine that you see people as valuable, see people as worthwhile, see people as having, uh, 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 giving them esteem, it won't work for you. It won't change anything at all. That's how you got to be. Esteem other people as higher than yourself. See, that's the love of God. And uh, God's going to bring people along your path. What He's trying to do is draw that love out of you. Because it's in there. And people are going to come along your path and the enemy is going to put a thought in your head. He's going to put this in your heart. Just walk on by this when they're not worth anything. No. Not going to do that. You go over and you have a conversation. You talk with them. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm not trying to get you to help me. Just talking with you. And the whole time you esteem them as higher than yourself. Now, we all know how this is done because we've all been talked to by people who don't esteem us very highly, don't we? We've been talked to in such a way that um, that doesn't go on real well. I wasn't at there for this incident, but I heard about it. And uh, I heard people making a, 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 a show about it because it doesn't happen very often. But um, uh, sometime, I think it was this past week, the 76ers were supposed to have a game. It sounded like a scrimmage game just with their own people, their own people on the team. They were going to have the scrimmage game. And something happened in the city, I think it was in the city, that it couldn't happen and they weren't going to do the thing. And I don't know if you keep up with the 76ers, but they have a new general manager now who was a former player. His name is Elton Brand. Anybody ever heard of Elton Brand? A couple of you have heard it. All right, a few of you have heard it. Well, he's now the GM. Well, they had to cancel this game. And so he went on down. He's a star. He went on down and talked with all the people who came, all the people they could, talked with all the people who came out to the game. And since they couldn't come for the game, he sat in there and he took selfie pictures with them and signed stuff that they had and just spent all that time with the people who came in. Now, see, that was somebody who walked in a way to esteem others higher than himself. And then people talked about it in a way that uh, was, was respectful. This was really neat that they would do that. He didn't have to do it. It wasn't set up for this to, to be going on. He took his time to, to do it. This is how we need to, to do things. Treat other people as better than yourself. Now, there are going to be times that people are not going to treat you very well. 
And for the most part, just smile and go on. You don't have to make everybody like you. There's nothing in the Word of God that says you have to make everyone like you. They did not like Jesus. If they didn't like him, they probably aren't going to like you. Some of them. And Jesus even said, they're not going to like the word that's in you. It's going to bug them. They're not going to like that. So don't feel like you've got to make everybody like you. But then don't go off if they don't like you and say nasty things about them. Just leave them. Now, that'll be enough for some people. They'll say, I don't like that person. I'll just leave it at that. But then there are other peop- people that you're going to come to and they're going to try and, and make your life terrible because they don't like you. They're going to say things about you. They're going to insinuate things about you, things that you have done that you didn't do, things they're going to be accused of and so forth. And as we've seen in the news, all you got to do is make an accusation. You don't got to prove it. I think that's disgusting. That's not how our law system was made. Still amazes me how many Christians will follow along with that, even though the Bible goes right against doing that. Whether you like the situation, whether you believe it doesn't make any difference, the Word of God is very clear on what evidence is. There needs to be evidence, there needs to be witnesses. If you're going to make the kind of accusations that you want to make against somebody. But um, there are other matters. How do you walk in love to these people when they're treating you this way? Well, see, most Christians... And again, Satan filled your heart with things that are not always mean. He has filled the heart with a lot of Christians that when people make up stories about you and they come after you, that you just need to take it and go. When they made up stories about Jesus, did Jesus just take it? When they tried to make Jesus look like a fool, did Jesus just take it? No, he did not. In fact, if they came after him with bad motives, he exposed them. Why do you say this in your heart? See, he brought out their thoughts and brought them right out and they couldn't say anything about it because it was true. They probably already mentioned it to the people that were around them and they just keep it inside. He exposed it. There are times that you need need to do that. Now see, most Christians won't do it right. They'll, they'll interpret that something is going on and somebody's got something wrong in their heart and then they go away and they think, what should, what should I have done? I don't know what I should do about that. I mean, I know they don't like me. And, and we talk about it with other people and we try and come up with a strategy what we should do. You've already lost the battle. If you're going to do it the way Jesus did, how did Jesus do it? As soon as it happened, he dealt with it. And that's hard for some people to do. I've had to work myself around this because it's not in my normal way of doing things. But when somebody exposes a motive and it's a wrong motive in the church, out of the church, whatever place it is, if someone exposes a motive, I seize it if it's been a motive that's been going on. Not just something the first time I saw it. But I've seen it and seen it and seen it. All right, now we're going to bring this out. I'm not going to tell people about it later on. We're going to bring it up right here in the front of people. And we are going to, why do you say, why do you do, why do you operate like this when it's happening? Because then what can the person say? Nothing. 
You see, if you expose it and bring it out in the open, what happened to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes when Jesus brought their motives out in the open? They took their motives into the private, had private discussions. What happened when Jesus, when they said, all right, we're going to try and catch him in something he says, and they keep bringing out these questions to catch Jesus in something that he says? He, in public, after they get done their question, I have a question for you. And he asked questions about the son of David, and they couldn't answer. When they came to him and they said, um, by what power do you do these things? And he says, I'll answer that for you as long as you answer my question. John the Baptist, does he have God? They'll have a little conference. If we say he wasn't of God, the people are going to get mad at us because they all like him. And if we say he was of God, they're going to say, why didn't you believe him? Man, we are stuck. So they got up there. They're not looking for a truthful answer. They're looking for what can we do to cover ourselves? We don't know. All right, fine. I won't tell you then. I'm prepared to tell you. But since you won't answer my question, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give it to you. you. See, sometimes, folks, you have to take people's attitudes and bring them out into the open. Because only then will they get called on. When Jesus was dealing with Peter and a wrong attitude, what did he do? Called it out in the open. When Judas was mulling over, betraying him, what did he do? He called him on it. Judas, I know this is what's in your heart to do. This is a last-ditch call for Judas to not do it. It's not secret. The Master knows this. You see, the love of God, walking in the love of God, does not mean that you let people walk all over you or that you let people do evil things. It means you keep your attitude right. And when evil continually continue, God comes at you, there comes a point that you just have to expose it. Not later. Right then. Because every instance I have with Jesus is him exposing it right then. Bringing it out right then. He didn't call people together and say, all right, I think the Pharisees are trying to do some nasty stuff, so let's go try and go after them. When they do this, then you do. That's not what we got to do. God has called you to walk in love. He has put the love of God down on the inside of you. And the enemy is going to try and corrupt it. He's going to try and corrupt what God said to do. He's going to fill your heart with wrong things. All right, well, go ahead and and give some to God, but keep back some of it and present it as if it's the whole thing. It sounds good, but it wasn't. And he's going to try and get you to do some things in the area of love that are not quite right. Don't, Don't do it. Don't follow after it. Follow after what God is doing. God is going to take that love that he put on the inside and he's going to bring it out. He's going to draw that out. And you're going to walk in love and you're going to begin to do things just because it's natural. You don't have to think about it. You just do it. Because that's the love of God on the inside of you. The enemy is going to try and push you over into the area of selfishness. He's going to use conceit Get you to think more of yourself than you ought to think. He's going to use selfish ambition to get you to pursue what benefits you regardless 
of what it does to anyone else. I need this. I want this. I deserve this. Don't adapt his language. Don't adapt his thinking. Don't let him put things into your heart. Keep going before God and walk in the love of God. Keep yourself out of the ditch on that side. It will help us to stay out of the ditches. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you. What a wonderful time it is down here on this earth when we walk in the Spirit. When we walk in such a way that our life is ordered by the Spirit of God. That the love of God that is down on the inside of our heart is just coming out. Selfish ambition and conceit, they don't knock us off the road. We recognize the language. We recognize the thinking. And we put a stop to it. I'll get rid of that language out of my mouth. If I deserve, I want, and I need. And we'll replace it with language that is in line with the love of God. Would you? Could you? May I? So many other things we could be doing. Father, we walk in the love of God. Our life gets stronger. We find that our we are keeping all of the law of God, not just some of it. And things in our life will turn better. The bitterness that had built in our heart will fall away. Anger, unforgiveness, all these things begin to fall away. And as they fall away, some things in the natural that have taken hold of our life, natural things that affect our body, they'll begin to fall off and disappear. Because the reason that they kept hanging around is because the enemy kept pulling us off into the ditch. Or we stay out of the ditch of selfishness. We stay in the way of the love of God. And those extra things that come along with what the devil is selling us, they go with it. Just as relatives come and bring baggage, those thoughts, that thinking that the enemy puts in our heart that comes along with some baggage, we just didn't realize that they were attached. Thank you, Father, that the more we walk in the love of God, the less we deal with the natural things in this earth. I give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed still, not looking around. And they can say, yeah, I've certainly seen that the enemy has pushed me off at times into that selfish side. But I have, I can recognize it easier now. And I can stay out of it. Raise your hand. Amen. Glory to God. Father, you see the hands that are raised here? I thank you that you are working with us to get rid of all selfishness, all selfish ambition, all conceit, 
but in lowliness of mind, we esteem each one as better than ourselves. It's a great way to live. It's a way that you told us to live. And we will live it. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Expecting some testimonies from folks. That as you continue to walk in the love of God, things in the natural that you've been dealing with, you're not dealing with anymore. Glory to God. A couple of uh, praise reports here. Kenny said uh, she heard back from her girlfriend Gail last night. She said when she returned home, she found her house still standing. Praise be to God, no flooding whatsoever. And just a few trees knocked down around her yard. She wants to thank you, the church, for all the prayers. She says she has been truly blessed. And so, the first part of my report is a praise report. The second part is a prayer request. I give thanks to God for blessing me with a wonderful church family. Thank you all for your prayers and continued love and support. I was able to speak to my dad this week. He reported he was feeling much better. He also sounded happy to see Another birthday. <laughs> However, due to the current circumstances he is surrounded with, please continue to remember him in your prayers. Pray for my dad's safety, protection. Pray for peace of mind and wisdom for my dad. Pray for me and my family for wisdom and finances to continue to help and support him through his recovery. And pray for peace in this nation of Cameroon, especially this October. Um, oh, the elections. Got it. The election is coming up. All right, I'm going to leave this one up here because you might want to write down some of these things to, to pray over, all right? So if you want to do that, it's right up over here. You can come up and, and, um, and read that. So I'll turn it around so it's on this side. You can see that it says, in tow. Uh, Sister Ara, a few months ago, Ara requested that someone crash into her apartment and cause damage. She is thanking God for all your prayers, your love, and support. While she was looking for another apartment, the Lord has blessed her with a very beautiful apartment, much more space, closer to school, and a good, reasonable, cheap rent. She is extremely thankful to God for her blessing. School has also been going very well. <laughs> that is that is great. And a prayer request from Sister Ento. I will be traveling to Israel from October 7th to the 20th. I felt led to go on this trip, and I believe there are some things I need to receive from this trip. There may also be some things I need to give on this trip. Please pray for me as I go that I will receive and do everything the Lord has will have me to do and receive. I will miss you all greatly, but I will be back. She was telling us a little about this on Thursday night. Saying, now in October, <laughs> we never like it when, I, when Entos opens with that because we know. <laughs> and we like to have all of our worship team here whenever we, whenever we can. We appreciate that. My wife has an announcement to, um, to go over. Uh, Wednesday night, we're going to be, we only got as far as Gideon on Wednesday.